0: Good, feeling good. I'm feeling good. I feel like I'm like getting ready for like a UFC fight with like that background music. I feel like I should be coming up here with like a hoodie on, making y'all like, who's this crazy guy about to like just just annihilate another guy. Hey, I'm not here <laughs> to do that to you guys today. But man, I'm pumped. I'm excited. I'm inspired. Uh, thank you guys for for being here. Hey, online. Thanks for showing up and hanging out with us online. I think uh, this time together is going to be uh, important for us, for important for you this morning. I believe God's going to do something in and through you today like he's never done before. I believe God's going to communicate a message that he's going to uh, push you to action in a way maybe that you haven't been pushed before. And uh, so, I man, I think you're in for a great Sunday today. If you're new with us or you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, we've been walking through the book of James. And James is the half-brother of Jesus. And so we've been kind of looking at his words uh, the letter that he wrote to the early believers, the early church, uh, just about 10 years after Jesus uh, was, uh, was crucified for us and he, after he rose from the dead. And, um, and first week, if you missed it, we talked about how Sean, our student pastor, talked about how, uh, I mean, if you face trials, what do you do in the midst of trials? Like, how, how do we, we know trials are coming, we know things are going to happen to our lives that uh, we're going to face, and, and how do we do that? And James kind of points us in that Direction. In week two, uh, we talked about how James told us not to just be hearers of the word, but doers of the word. That we don't want to just hear what's said on Sunday morning. We don't want to just read the Bible and then hear it and understand it, but we actually want to put what we hear to action and we want to do things. Uh, Many of us, sometimes even I, uh, you know, come to church on Sunday. And then Tuesday or Wednesday, we look back and go like, man, what? what happened on Sunday? Like, what was even the message? And the reality is we, we heard it, but we don't remember it because we don't do it. We don't live it out. And so uh, we challenged, James challenged us that, man, we should live out the words of the Bible. We should live out these messages um, that are inspired by the, the word of God and then Last week we talked about partiality and James was just kind of like right there, just kind of shot straight to us. He didn't tiptoe around it. He just looked at it, wrote it down and he goes, hey, show no partiality. Like we shouldn't discriminate. We shouldn't pick sides. It's not like, hey, we should favor the poor or that we should favor the rich. It wasn't the poor is better than the rich. The rich is better than the poor. James told us like, hey, let's you and I as a church, as a community, what would it look like if we actually didn't show favoritism and partiality? And I don't know how that went for you this week. I don't know how your home life was changed. I don't know how your experience at the grocery store changed after reading and understanding and kind of chewing on this text of James. But I hope that we as a church, we as a community, we as believers, that we really fall in love with this stuff and we begin to live it out. And so if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in James chapter 2, starting in the middle of the chapter, I think uh, verse 14. But before I jump into the words of James, I want to look back at the lifestyle of Jesus. Now, now just to kind of catch you up, um, you know, in the the Old Testament, thousands of years before uh, Jesus entered into a human body, uh, the Israelites, God's God's people, were kind of of running around worshiping God, but, but they had to worship God by a set of rules. In the Old Testament, there was the Ten Commandments, and there was all these laws that they had to live by, and a standard that they had to live up to. And if they didn't, what would happen is they would have to sacrifice things. And once a year, they would come together, and the, the priest or the pastor of the day would have to kind of go into the Holy of Holies and sacrifice things for the atonement, uh, for, for the forgiveness of you know, God's people's sin. And if you, you and I were living back in that day, man, that's, that's just a tough way to live, right? All the laws, all the rules, all the expectation, all the things, all the Bible studies, all, all the do's, 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 do's. And you and I, we would constantly fail just like God's people did. And for thousands of years, this was kind of the relationship with God and his people, and then Jesus, Jesus came to earth. And kind of a side note, Jesus is the one who created you. Like God created you in your mother's womb. But the Bible says that, that Jesus, the man who became flesh, he was the one that actually spent time creating you. And so Jesus was in, God, uh, in heaven uh, with God for thousands of years, for all of eternity. And then he steps into earth, into the womb of Mary. And Mary, you know, does the whole pregnancy thing for, for nine months. She gives birth to Jesus. Several years later, possibly, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, is birthed. And then, and then Jesus actually has more brothers and more sisters. So there's this family dynamic happening where, where Jesus gets born. The Bible tells us that Jesus is perfect, that Jesus never sinned, Jesus never made a mistake. Like, like Jesus kind of somehow, told, said this last week, he somehow hid under the radar for 30 years of this perfect child. And his brothers and his sisters got to, got to hang out with Jesus and get to experience Jesus and see Jesus. And then at, at 30 years old, like Jesus worked as a carpenter with his dad at an early age until 30. And at 30, he kind of uh, switched jobs, switched career fields. Uh, we see in the New Testament that Jesus was baptized. And at the, the moment of baptism, the Holy Spirit, like a dove, falls on Jesus and Jesus goes to work. I mean, that, that's the New Testament that we read, that, that, that Jesus is, is running through towns. He, he kind of uh, grabs up a crew of 12 guys, and he's healing people. He's, he's raising teenage girls from the dead, his best friend from the dead. He's, he's feeding thousands of people. People are, are crippled and can't walk, and Jesus goes by and lifts them up. Uh, women are sick, and they just kind of touch Jesus, and they're healed. And Jesus just goes for it for three years. I mean, it wasn't just like a 40-hour work week. I mean, Jesus was uh, working seven days a week, 24 hours a day, and he was on call constantly. He was on call from God the Father, God the Father, giving him a mission day in and day out. He was on call from the people all around him. All all throughout the New Testament, Jesus would go somewhere, ahead somewhere, and someone would stop him. And Jesus would stop what he was doing and and begin to work uh, into the lives of these people. And, And for three years, Jesus was just going for it. You think you travel a lot for work? Well, Jesus traveled barefoot hundreds of miles you know, for, for three years of his life. You think like you don't lay your head on your pillow at home enough? Like Jesus barely ever went home. He would just crash at different places along the path. Like Jesus worked and Jesus worked hard. And Jesus finally completed the works and then he went to the cross. At the end of three years, I mean, Jesus got arrested. His best friend betrayed him. Jesus was spit on. Jesus was made fun of. The insults that were spoken to him were just just crucial. If you and I were in that environment, it's just the worst words imaginable penetrating our ears. And and Jesus just kind of took it. And his friends and his family's disciples, they're probably like, are you taking off? Are you you retiring? You just going to cash in the PTO? Like, like Jesus, like, why are you stopping working? Why are you giving up? And, and you and I, we know the story. that these, these men, they grabbed Jesus. They nailed him to a cross. They, they raised him up and paraded him in front of hundreds and thousands of people. Oh, you're the king of the Jews. And then, and then Jesus dies. His work is over. And three days later, he, he raises from the grave. He gives his disciples a mission to, to go, re, go reach the world for the fame of his name. And in John 17, 4, he, Jesus says this, referring to God. He goes, I glorified you, God, on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. Church, church, look right at me. Because this is massively important. The words and the statements that I'm about to make are massively important in our faith. You and I, we do not have to work for our salvation. That there's nothing that you and I can do to make God and Jesus love us more. That there's nothing, mistakes, there's no no bad things we can do for Jesus to take a back seat and push you to the back of the line. There's, There's nothing we can do to work for our salvation. That Jesus completed the work that his death on the cross, that his death alone gave us relationship and connection back to God. There's nothing you and I can do. And many times in our faith, many times in our struggle, like in the relationships you've had with your mom, your dad, your wife, your kids, that you you feel, you and I feel sometimes we have to work so hard at the relation for love and for affirmation and for the relationship to stay together. And Jesus is going, no, 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 look at my life, guys. Like, I was here for 33 years. I did it all. I worked it all out for salvation. Now, now, we have to understand that and believe that before we jump into the words of James. Because if we don't understand that and have that experience and have that belief about Jesus, we could get caught up in some of the words of James. We good? Awesome. Let's read James 2, verses 14 through 26. We'll pray together and we'll dissect this. James says this, he goes, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things they needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. And someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Let me pray for us. Jesus, I pray right now, uh, man, that you just uh, wake us up. I pray, Jesus, that that we have confidence that you're going to collide with our lives in these next few moments. I pray, Jesus, that we can learn to grow and love and fall in love with you more today because of your word and your instruction. And uh, I pray, Jesus, uh, you make us more like you. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen. Cool. In verse uh, 14 through 16, it says this. It says, what good is it, my brothers, James says this, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food and one of you says to them go in peace be warmed and filled without giving them the things they needed for the body what good excuse me what good is that Now, now James is is referring to to poor people, right? Something that we can all pretty much understand. Uh, Most of us have have, have driven by someone who's poor, maybe at a red light. Maybe we've all interacted with someone who's asked us for food or asked us for something or clothing or shelter. And and what James is saying here, this is massively important. James is like, hey, guys, look, uh, let me just start off this deal by saying, um, uh, what good is it if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I'm really cold outside. Um, could, Could you maybe grab me a jacket? And you and I's response is like, oh, man, I'm, I'm sorry that you're cold. <laughs> I hate I hate that you're cold. I, I've been cold once, and I didn't like it. But, hey, just go in peace. God, God be with you. Hey, I'll, 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 I'll be praying for you and that you stop being cold. Or James says, what if a homeless person or someone who is, who is hungry goes, man, 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 hey, do you got any food to spare? And you go, ooh, I don't, I don't, I don't have food on me, don't have food with me, you're probably pretty hungry, I remember being hungry, I don't like being hungry, but, but I'm just going to hope and pray that, that you're just going to stop being hungry, hey, peace be with you. Many times we hear, maybe Christians, maybe you've said this before when somebody's come and approached you with a need or a situation or a tragedy. And and maybe you responded with, hey, you know when God shuts a door, he opens a window. And what James is saying is that we need to act like, like many of you act in this room. You need to act like like the Stone Creek family, right? Like right now, we have over 200 students down in Panama City. We have over 50 adults giving up their weekend, giving up their family time, giving up PTO at work to go and serve students in Panama City, believing and hoping that through their service, these students come to know him. Uh, Many of you guys serve here on Sunday morning in our nursery in our pre-K and our first through fifth environments. We had one dad came a couple weeks ago, just days after his wife uh, gave birth to his, his son, you know, at 32 weeks. And he shows up here, and I'm like, dude, what are you doing here? And he's like, ah, I'm, here, I'm here to serve. Like, I'm here uh, to, to be a part of the family. And I'm like, are you going to have a bed when you get home? <laughs> but, but many of you, many of us, like when, when people do come our way and people do ask us for things and for stuff and there's needs, man, you guys are extra generous. You'll write the check and go, hey, here it is. you'll you'll give the need. But but, but what James is saying, he's not talking to you. He's talking to the rest of us who says like, oh, when I hear a need or when I see a need, I'm just going to pray for that need. And and we need to write this statement down as I say it, but I think what James is saying is that maybe we need to stop praying for people and start acting like the answered prayer. (laughs) Don't get me wrong. Please pray for people. If we, Stone Creek, if you guys, if we could rally together and band together and pray for our city. Husbands, if you could pray for your wives before you leave for work. Moms, if you could pray for your kids before they leave to go to school or open up the laptop. If we could go to restaurants and pray for waiters and waitresses as they give us the meal. If we can pray with random strangers as we're in the grocery store. Oh my goodness, what a movement it would start. But, but many of us in, in our Christian walk, like we, we kind of negotiate the, the action to prayer, and maybe Jesus is asking you to be the answered prayer. Hey 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 Ryan, I'm I'm really I'm really cold. You got, you got a jacket? Well yeah, I got 17 jackets at the house. Let me go get you one. Hey, do you have any food? Uh, not on me. But hey, why don't you hop in my car and let's go to the house? Let's go make a sandwich together. And I get it, I get it. Most of us, we're not interacting with like super poor people every day here in Milton and Canton, Georgia. But m- maybe it looks different for us. M- maybe the next time you're hanging out with uh, one of your friends and they just talk about their struggles in marriage and how, how, how them and their husband or them and their wives is not connecting. M- maybe instead of just going, hey, let me, let me pray for you and that God will intervene. M- maybe you and I, we just say, hey, um, hey w- why don't we take the kids Friday night And you guys go on a date. And here's a $100 gift card to go do it. Not because you need it, but because you mean that much to me. What if uh, when people are, we see people in need that that we don't just, we pray for them, but maybe, just maybe, we can be an answered prayer. James 2.17, it says this, this is also by faith. So, also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, it's dead. Dead. Dead, not moving. It's decaying. Faith without works is dead. James isn't saying that you're dead, that that if your faith does not have works, then you're dead. James is saying that your faith is dead. And so so I got to ask the question Is your faith dead? Is your faith dying? Is your faith decaying? Is your faith starting to stink? Many of us know that that death isn't just a quick process. I mean, tragedy happens and death happens sometimes, but but usually death is a a process. And and a way to know that you and I, that if our faith is dying, is is look back at the last tragedy, the last uh, thing that kind of blindsided you. Was your first thought, holy cow, yes, Jesus, you're gonna figure this out, you're gonna solve this. Or was your first thought like, oh my gosh, Jesus, are you mad at me? You and I, our faith may begin, uh, may start, start dying. And James is going, faith by itself, it doesn't have works. It's dead. Dead people do nothing and dead faith does nothing. Several years ago, I um, <laughs> was given a gift of a lemon tree. Uh, I'll take that gift again, I guess. I, I don't know what you do with a lemon tree, except for grow lemons and make a lemonade stand. But like uh, we just was gifted a, a lemon tree while I was in Texas. And, and so I, I, I was in the kind of process of moving from Texas uh, back here to, to the Atlanta area. And so we put the lemon tree in the garage and, uh, to kind of keep it there because we didn't want to kind of plant it in the yard. And uh, we're in the process of moving. So we put boxes and stuff in the garage. And next thing you know, the day we began to pack the U-Haul up, we packed the boxes up and, and there's a dead lemon tree in my garage. Now, now any, any, any rational person would be like, oh, okay, just chalk that one up to just failure, Rohan fam." But uh, uh, I, I did maybe what you would do. I, I packed the lemon tree in the U-Haul. A dead lemon tree. Drove it 1,000 miles across the country. So I didn't want to throw it away. And, and maybe I had this hope that maybe it's not really dead. Some of us in this room, like, you have dead faith. But you're just really not willing to admit it. And you've been traveling from job to job, house to house, relationship to relationship, thinking that this thing is gonna start to produce fruit, but it's dead. It's decaying. When we moved into our new house here in Alpharetta a year ago, um, there was this tree in my front yard, and uh, there was a bunch of branches that were dying. And uh, I, I don't know if a tree, uh, what a, what kind of tree it is, or what it's supposed to be. And so uh, I was assuming that it was it was going to be a dead tree. And uh, so I took the, the the saw out there one day, and I was kind of looking at it, and like there was no greenery on it, and. I was looking at some of the, the, the stems and uh, some of the, the twigs, and, and they were snap. And I'm like, okay, cool, great firewood. And others would kind of bend, and I'm like, oh, I don't know if this is dead. So I begin to trim like, the, the dead pieces away and kind of leave the, the, the ones on like, life alert you know, still there. And this spring, there was some, some green leaves that are popping out. And again, and many of us on the flip side, many of us think that we're dead or have dead faith, but, but you're actually still alive. That you're not too far gone. That the decision you made to follow Jesus years ago, it was actually true. And it's not that you have dead faith, you might have dying faith, but, but don't give up hope on your faith. And this is what James is saying. He says, over a period of time, your faith could begin to die. In verse 18, it says this, it says, but someone will say, you have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and they shudder. Now let's remember who James was writing to. James was writing to you know, the first uh, Christians uh, about 10 years after Jesus' death these Christians, Stephen was just martyred, kind of this pillar of the Christian community, and the Christians were kind of uh, dispersed and ran to the woods. And so so, so James is writing this letter. Most people believe this is the first New Testament letter written to the church. And so so this is who James is writing to. And these people were having arguments of going like, oh, they they were possibly around Jesus. The benefit of them compared to us is some of these early believers might have seen Jesus' work 10 years prior. If they didn't hang around Jesus, they were actually around the disciples of Jesus. And so they kind of had this firsthand knowledge of Jesus' teaching. But they lacked the scriptures. They didn't have all the New Testament writings. And so we actually get to benefit from the entire Bible. And we get to know on a recurring basis that we can flip through our Bible and actually read the call in our lives. Well, these guys were a little lost. And so some of the new believers thought, hey, hey no, no, we got to work. We got to do. We got to do, do, do. And other people over here are like, no, 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 we don't need to do. We don't need to do. You know, you see what happens when you do. You get persecuted. Uh, you get hurt. We're not going to do. Let's, 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 let's just have faith. Let, 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 let's, just, let's, just, let's just pray and have this relationship with God and just, just have faith and then Jesus will do it all. And, and, and James is going, whoa, whoa, whoa I'm going to disrupt both sides of the equation. If you're, if you're just doing but you're not doing because you have faith, this doing is worthless. Hence, if you're just a good guy and doing good things, that doesn't matter. If you're just a good parent or a good human, but you're not doing it because of the faith and the death of Jesus, it's it's, it's worthless. And then over here, if you have faith, if you believe in Jesus, if you professed his name, If you prayed the prayer, if you raised your hand, if you committed your life to Jesus, but out of the outflow of that, nothing happens, do you really love him? I mean, we've all heard and seen the analogy of marriage. The the, the interesting thing is when we start talking about faith and works and Jesus and our relationship, people start freaking out, going, oh, i got to work for his love. And I'm like, no, 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 you don't have to work. i just got to be in his love. And you're like, yes, but any other relationship you have, you figured it out. I mean, in your, your marriage, I mean, it's not like Ashley and I are just like 11 years in and when she gets frustrated at me, I don't just grab the DVD player and, and throw in, you know, our wedding day and be like, we, we did it. I mean, I committed to you. I said I loved you. That kiss was pretty awkward. Like, here it is. And she would look at me and go like, dude, what, but, but, but you're not unloading the dishwasher. And I'm going to go like, well, I, don't want, I don't want to unload the dishwasher. And she's like, but I want you to want to. And I'm like, I don't want to want to want to. I'm never going to want to. But I'm going to out of the overflow of my love for her, not because she's going to love me more or better because of it. In your friendships and in your working relationships, you understand uh, the concept behind uh, audibly committing to the relationship and then actually physically working out. And this is what, this is what James is saying. Salvation is less about information, more about transformation. And James says this, he goes, man, even the demons believe. If it's just faith, if it's just belief, James goes, the demons are in this camp. If I were to give you a test on theology, most of y'all in this room would probably do all right. If we got to talk about Christianity in the Bible, I mean, most of you guys would have probably pretty good answers. Well, so would the demons. <laughs> and James is going, please, 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 don't, don't let this thing just be lip service. Let, let, it, let it be a lifestyle. Because the demons, that they have lip service, but they, they don't have the lifestyle to back it up. And verse 20. alone. The story of Abraham was he's this old guy. He was this rock star in his faith. He's the guy that God said, hey, hey, there's gonna be like nations and generations greater than the stars in the sky, the sand on the seashore. And Abraham and his wife got like really old and they were kind of looking around going, oh, this is gonna happen. They had Isaac, his son, and then God called him to sacrifice his own son. And his son is a teenage boy or a young boy, kind of grabbed the wood on his backpack and began to walk up this mountain. There was this altar and Abraham kind of tied him to the altar, and it's just this wild story of Abraham willing to sacrifice his son for the commitment of his faith. That Abraham wasn't just going to be like, all right, God, I believe you and follow you. But, but Abraham was going, no, no, whatever you ask me to do, I'm in. And God provided a way out. God, God provided another sacrifice. And what James is telling us here is that, man, some of us, we, we've grown up in the faith. That many of us, we've been to church for a really long time. A lot of y'all in this room, y'all are really mature believers and Christians. But even Abraham didn't take a day off. It's not like there, there comes a point in our Christian faith that we can retire. It's not like we can, we can build up enough 401K in our works and our good deeds that we finally just kind of take off and go uh, get in a chair and sit at the beach. Uh, Abraham, he, he, he was a rock star. And Jesus and God called him to do something massive. For, for those of us who have grown up in the church, well, what, is, what is God calling and asking you to do? Have you taken too much time off? Do you need to re-engage in the work of God? In verse 25, it says, And in the same way was not also Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out by another way? Uh, Rahab was a prostitute. Rahab and her family owned like a, like a little bar outside of the city gates of Jericho. And uh, God's people, uh, the Israelite spies, kind of came in. And they, they met um, Rahab and who knows if Rahab was just coming out of a hotel room or a guest was leaving or coming and Rahab kind of looked at these Israelites God's people and was like oh I haven't seen Jesus or experienced Jesus or experienced your God but, but, but I've heard stories of how, how God did some miracles uh, in the last couple years and these spies got to got to tell Rahab the, the, this, the, the love and the glory and and the commitment and relationship of God and Rahab goes I, I want in and the spies weren't like, whoa, 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 hold on. When was your last sin? When was your last appointment? Did you, did you go to the baptism class? Have you been in a small group yet? I mean, these, these spies, they were like, all right, cool, you're in. And Rahab goes, well, will you please, please, when you come back and your people attack the city, will you remember me and my family? Because I want to follow you and your God. Many of us in this room, we've been to church a long time. And we were pretty mature in our faith. But, but, but some of us in this room, this is brand new. I mean, your lifestyle is wild and rampant right now. You haven't got cleaned up. You haven't figured it out. And what James is saying, hey, just like the mature believer, the young believer who's still caught up in a lifestyle that may be offensive to God, that you can still still follow him and you can actually still do things to impact and to move the mission of Jesus there's nothing too dirty, there's nothing too wrong, there's, there's, no, there's, no, there's, no, there's no decisions that you can make right now that, that tell you, no, oh, cool, go sit on the bench on this one and we'll come back to you later. James is going, no, no, if you're old and mature, if you're young and wild, like we're all called to this mission of not just having faith but living out our faith. When I was 13, I accepted Jesus and Two months later, jumped on a plane to Jamaica on a mission trip with our church. This is old school, 90s, uh, where you did puppets and like drama ministry. And uh, so we like blasted this stuff in the streets of Jamaica. I had no idea who Jesus was. I just knew he saved me and loved me and was committed to be with me forever. And so like I'm in. I followed this guy named Tim around and he began to, to share the love of Jesus. And I got to see all these people respond to Jesus because of the faithfulness and the action of Tim. And in that moment, it solidified my relationship with Jesus. If you were to ask me, hey, Ryan, why is faith easy for you? And I'm like, because I traveled thousands of miles away to these villages where nobody had anything, and they responded to the same Jesus that I responded to two months later. Many of us, we lack faith because we're not putting our faith in action. Many of us, when tragedy hits, you shrink back. Because you have the words, you have the, the faith, but you haven't put your faith in action. And, and, and when you and I, we, you've seen it. When you put your faith in action, God does a work in you. When you're generous and, and you write a check and, and, you, and you give it away, he doesn't always just give it back, but he, he does a work in me. When I see a need and, I, and I'm able, and my family's able to kind of walk into that need, it, God does a work in me. And then when I have a chance to to talk about faith, well, it's like, my my goodness. Jesus is showing up all over the place. Works isn't about our relationship with Jesus and solidifying our works with Jesus. Our, Our works actually solidifies our own faith. Jesus isn't looking at us and giving us tally points and brownie points. Jesus is looking at us going, man, if you actually live out and work out our faith, not only is your faith going to grow, but other people are going to start responding to your faith. There's Abraham, there was was Rahab. And in verse 26, James says this, As far as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. He says it again. Faith, apart from works, is dead. Church, there's faith. There's belief in Jesus. It's this acknowledgement of like, ah, I've never seen you, Jesus. I've heard about you, but I've given my life fully over to you. And then there's this call to action, not to solidify our relationship with Jesus, But so everyone else can maybe have a peek into what a relationship with Jesus looks like. Jesus was on the cross, and some of the last words he he spoke, he he screamed out. And he goes, It is finished. My, My work is finished. Reconciling you guys and God, the relationships that you had, it's, it's, it's finished. All the work, all the laws, all the rules, all the to-dos, guess what? It is finished. Jesus, he's the only way to salvation. Jesus' death is, is the only thing can, that can reconcile our relationship back to God. It's not Jesus plus something. Because Jesus plus anything ruins everything. But in, in some of us in this room, we're like, man, we, cool, I got it. But I, I don't even know what to do. I have the faith. I don't know what to do. And we as a church, we want to kind of put our money where our mouth is and where our preaching is. And we don't just preach on the book of James and kind of go on our merry way. And that next week we're going to be online only we're going to continue to preach the book of James the second and third week of July and then the, the fourth week of July we're, we're actually not going to have service in here but we're going to have an event called City Serve. so we're not going to come and just hear, we're not just going to come and, and hear about the word of God and, and, and sing, sing, sing songs to God but we're going to actually leave this place and serve our community our campus up here is doing it. Our campus in Sandy Springs is doing it. You're going to have an opportunity to go down to Clarkston, to go down to Sandy Springs. You're to have an opportunity to, to serve up here. You're going to have an opportunity to serve with your family. You're going to, you're going to invite your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends. And, and we're not going to have a church service, but we're actually going to go do something out in our community. If you want to have faith and works, faith and action, tangible next step for you. In Clarkston, there's, there's refugees and... They're getting ready to go back to school in August and they don't have backpacks and school supplies. Uh, guess what? We have a Walmart and a Target. and You can do the Target pickup order. And you can, guess what? You can invite your neighbor, your friends, your kids, and you can go shopping and grab a Dora the Explorer backpack or a Frozen 2 backpack and fill it up with paper and pencils. And you can write letters to the students and we can deliver them down to Clarkston. Believing and hoping that it's not just we got a backpack and now we're one stage closer to Jesus. No, no, we're doing this backpack to show people in Clarkston how real and tangible Jesus is. So, you know, our opportunity to, to create backpacks for these next three or four weeks, and we're going to take those up up into the second week of August. And then, some of y'all in this room, I mean, you've been coming here a long time. And I encourage you, man, to, to put your faith in action. And I, <laughs> It sounds so cliche, but this is so far more for you than for us but but maybe you need to commit to serving here that maybe you need to change up your whole routine and, and, and every day or once a month or, or every other month or however you want to look at it, maybe you come serve on a service and you, you hold a baby or you lead a seven uh, year old in a game and you talk about Jesus to a third grader and maybe you commit to a, a service uh, to serve and you commit to a service to go to and attend hey church please, please, please let us not just be a church of faith let's be a church of faith and works not for our salvation but for the salvation of others let's pray Jesus, thank you so much for this time, thank you so much for this place thank you so much for these people I pray Jesus that you do a work in us and through us I pray, Jesus, for, for people in this room, people online who say, hey, right now, I want to give my life to you, Jesus. That's my first action. That's my first, first step. I pray, Jesus, that people can pray something like this. Say, hey, Jesus, I love you. I want to follow you. Pick me up and carry me. I don't know what to do, but I believe you're God. I believe you're Savior of the world. The Bible says that if, that if you ask God to be a part of the journey with him, that that you're saved, your salvation's complete. And a way just to mark that moment, we, we do it here on most Sundays where we ask people to raise their hand. And so if you've prayed that prayer or something like it and you've committed your life to Jesus for the first time, I'm gonna count to three and if you've done that, I want you to raise your hand. Ready, one, two, three. Yeah, amen. And Jesus, thank you so much for salvation. Thank you so much for your work on the cross to secure our relationship with God, our Father. I love you and praise you in Jesus' name, amen.